So I, I've got another area of questions I'd really like to get into. Go ahead and we'll chime in. See how it goes? Okay, so um, in lots of small-scale societies, uh, you have mechanisms that have, have developed for uh, excluding or punishing individuals who are too aggressive, uh, who are somehow violating cultural norms. And, uh, and they start with ridicule and, um, and end up maybe with execution. Can you talk about that in, in the Yanomami? Uh, what, what happens they, when some guy just goes out of, out of line? Usually he becomes very successful but in, intolerant and they eventually fission away. I mean, they, they would be taking a great chance by challenging him. So, the, the one particularly nasty guy that I knew was the headman of his village. And he was powerful enough that he could bring the group together because he could field a massive team of raiders against the enemies of the village. But he was really offensive and overbearing, and eventually he managed to alienate some of his closest, even his closest kinsmen, and they would fission away and make the group smaller, and he would become more internally cohesive because it was smaller. But when he died, he was a, he was the reason why I stopped going to that village because the last confrontation I had with him, he had an axe over my head and was prepared to plant it right smack in my forehead if I didn't give that last machete to a man he designated rather than the one I was going to give it to. So I dutifully gave the machete to the guy he designated, left town in a hurry. But after, and, and the, the village all knew that this guy was giving me a really bad time being unreasonable. For example, I'd go to the village. I always brought them eye medicine, tetracycline eye ointment to kill the infections in their eyes. And they just, they really loved that. But when I got to the village, he demanded all of my tetracycline eye tetracycline eye And I managed to squirrel away a couple of containers of it to give to the other guys after I left. But he was really selfish asshole. I mean, he was really an unpleasant guy. So if he's the leader... But when he died, hmm. they sent the delegation from his village to where I was, and they quite formally invited me to come back to the village and whispered, the guy who's giving you such a bad time is no longer with us. So they're they're very much aware of dictatorial. But it, my hunch is though, you couldn't get a village of four hundred people unless you had powerful headmen that were mm -hmm. in effect brutes. And so that was I took that to be, and when I thought about it for a little bit longer, this was a crucial step in the development of political authority. Kind of dictatorial powers in the hands of just a few people. So, so you mean, how, how old was he at the peak of his power? Uh, I would say 40. 40. And declines with age no. as you lose prowess, or no. you can maintain that sort of. Power? I knew a head man who had lost his arm when a tree fell on it, and he was still the head man. So it's just not physical prowess, it's, it's your. Presentation, your presence. And presumably a coterie of second, third, fourth, that first, first that, that keep the order and uh, 
none of them can quite see how to overthrow you. Well, you got to understand that their marriage patterns mm -hmm. usually, I mean, dual organization really does exist, but not in the way that maybe Louis Levi Strauss thought about it. The central element in alliances is for two prominent people that have a lot of brothers and sisters agreeing to give each other's children in marriage. And immediately, those two lineages become bound to each other matrimonially. And when that happens, the villages grow, can grow very, very large, 400 people. And that's, I mean, not everybody is opposed to the head. His brothers liked him, and so did his brothers-in-law, but they were not sufficiently... Sort of like what we're seeing in Syria these days. Could be. Yeah. Uh, when, when the fissioning happens, when the groups get too big mm -hmm. and split, um, sometimes, from what you said earlier, uh, I gather that it's one group abandoning the, the sort of mother group, is it ever the case that a group is ousted by the mother group, where they're actually oh, yes, yes. sent away? Yeah. So well, you get both kinds of fishing. Well, usually what happens, Dan, is that if there has been no fatality in the final club fight between the members of the same village, they can live with that for a while. I mean, they have bruises on their head and can live you know, in the same garden, you know, 100 yards away in the same garden. But if somebody got killed, that can't happen. One of the groups is going to have to flee for its life, or for the life of its members. And what happens at that point, they flee to other villages who are closely related to them. All of these villages are intimately related. And how far apart are they? Oh, sometimes a day, sometimes less than that, three quarters of a day, sometimes three or four days. And do they um, send out scouts to sort of try to eavesdrop on the neighboring groups or not? Not really. It's interesting it, in itself. I mean, they, gossip is so common. You, you can find out what's going on in the other village by a casual visitor uh, passing through your village. And if you're alert to political activities in that area, you will know what questions to ask. Like, is so-and-so still around? Oh, no, he does. Or what are you guys up to with regard to the Iwahikarobatei who live right next door? Are you getting along with them? You acquire intelligence that way without sending spies. But, but, but these passers through are not of either tribe? And is they some, they sometimes are. They might be related to you. But you have to dis discount the information they give you if they're related more closely to the group that they're reporting. So presumably you were grilled when you went into a new village about oh, yeah. all the news that was... Yeah. Well, I wasn't that central to the political machinations of the Alamana territory. They would ask me questions that I knew could be useful to them if they were planning some kind of visit or... You know, you, am I right? You've talked about there were raids in the past to capture women? No, no. That's, that's not possible. Well, it would be untrue to say, and I can't document any example of it, of the Anamama raiding another village simply to get women. Right. There's a much easier and safer way to do it. 
you invite the buggers to come to your village, and if your village is bigger, you just hang on to the women, send them in packing. Just like that. Just like that. And why did they come? <laughs> women want to get away. All right, that's a good question. One of my best friends, a hitman named Kamalbala, said, if you show fear, that's when your enemies will kill you. So they come to not show fear because by being afraid to come, that invites more trouble. So they will sometimes, then they're vulnerable to accusations, you didn't come because you don't trust us. Oh, we trust you. So it, the intellectual games that they play with each other are mind-boggling. And that's how these successful nomonies where they butcher half the men in the village really take place. Is there's this, oh, we're good friends, we're the best friends you ever had, and then you beat them to death with an axe or something. Women are both um, reproductive potential and are workers. Now, are you giving me an, an argument that Mike Harner once gave? Oh, I see why they're fighting over women. They want their labor. No. <laughs> they have certain virtues that have nothing to do with labor. And, and uh, so, uh, how is it that you're able to reach that conclusion? We reach what conclusion? Well, that, that, uh, that uh, sexual um, services and reproductive services is more important than the. Um, well, I'm not saying. Labor. I'm not saying that their labor contribution to the larder is irrelevant. I'm just saying it's insufficient to overcome the interests that the men have in the opposite sex. Well, but a bachelor, uh, how, what kind of life does a bachelor have? If Plain, short, have... nasty, and brutish. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, when he gets a, a wife, then she can give him standing and provide him with meals. Isn't that really important for him? Um, everybody cooks. I mean, cooking for somebody is not a big expense. So the bachelor can, can eat everywhere? Yeah, I mean, not everywhere, but he'll even come home to mom and dad who might live in the section of the shop and right next to his. And they're munching all the time. It's the ones without the moms and dads I'm thinking of. Yeah, well, if you don't have moms and dads, you're in trouble. Okay. But I, I have no. Now, there is an instance in which men will go to a village and deliberately take a woman, but it's only when a woman has run away from a cruel husband in their village and flees to another village. And she better be damn sure that that village she flees to has a lot of tough guys in it because she'll, she's almost certain to be pursued and recaptured by her her ex-husband and his brothers, and then she'll be severely punished for her. So presumably the women you're talking about are all women in the uh, late teens to, or maybe early teens to, to late thirties, something like that. Yeah, they would have a better chance of being taken in any other village, the younger they are. Do men ever marry older women? Oh yeah. Why would that be? Can't find one that's suitable, more attractive. They'll marry anybody. So, so when you say they'll marry anybody, uh, are you thinking of a, a monogamous marriage or a polygamous marriage or both? You can't really classify the Anamama as monogamous, polygynous, or polyandrous. 
nor do I suspect you can do that with any society, or at least societies of the sort that you're interested in, like hunters and gatherers transiting from hunting and gathering to agriculture or early agricultural societies like the Ahamana. You have to look at marriage as a life history event. So when you're young and don't have a lot of kinsmen, you might be, the best thing, you, the best game in town might be sharing a wife with your brother. So at that point, your marriage is polyandrous. And then as you age or your kinship fortunes increase, like more of your own kinsmen move to your village, then you might be able to do a wife all by yourself. And then if you're a hot dog and have a lot of relatives and lots of sisters to give away in marriage, you might end up with two or three wives. The most wives a young mama I know has ever had is six at the same time. One of the papers I'm going to do is how many spouses each sex has throughout their lifetime, just to try to add some dimension to this argument about polygyny, polyandry. So when you say spouse, spouse, what do you mean by what's the, what's the spouse? Just somebody you're sleeping in the same No, we, they formally acknowledge. They that, formally acknowledge. Yeah. Like if you ask them who's married to who, they'll, they'll tell you. But the, the verb they used is both. It means to possess. Who does such and such a God possess? Say, with the name of his wife. How, how would they say, who is she married to? You, know, you so could say, who owns her? Or who, who owns her? But it's not really ownership. I mean, to, to possess implies something more broad and has certain dimensions of responsibilities involved. Is it the same <coughs> word as who owns this sack of beans? Or this? No, it's not. But no, well, it could be used. It could be used no, that no, way. But when it, when it comes to people, you know that they're talking about being married or having a spouse. Have a separate word. So how many? Marriages are from within the village, and how many from somebody coming in from the outside? It depends on the size of your village. It's, it's a huge numbers game. Okay. Big villages lord it over small villages. And so if you're seeking an ally who will protect you from the buggers up the hill who are bigger than you, you're at a disadvantage because in order to get allies, you've got to give women to them. And it's a an economics game where the smaller village has to pay up front for its privileges of the alliance and the bigger village tends to default on many of its agreements. So big villages tend to exploit the small villages. It's always, it's always a good idea to live in a big village. However, it's like living in a powder cake. Why does it matter um, militarily whether you're in a big village or a small village, given that the raids only take attacks. a sub yeah, sneak attacks with a subset of men? Because it depresses the enthusiasm of your neighbors to sneak attack you because you way outnumber them. There. Because of the possibility that a really large 
attack will be made in return. Yeah. And since they have so many people, they can get around you and intercept you on the retreat. So what's the largest number of raiders you ever seen? Probably 70, 70. You know, the smallest is 10. And that's... Oh, but seldom smaller than that. You always get a pretty good posse before you go do anything. Right. No, but if a village can't field, that pretty much determines the minimum size of a village. If it's not large enough and demographically structured in a certain way to produce 10 able-bodied men to go on raids, it's likely to not be a viable village. But the point of the raid is usually it's an revenge. Honor, it's, it's a revenge. It's an honor revenge thing, right. so that they go to punish that village it's by not, killing one I mean, of it, It's not to be confused with the, or the Mediterranean sense of honor. Okay. It's to get revenge because they killed my brother. And they didn't deflower my little sister. And that's fine. Now, all this um, basically political war that you've just been telling us the last five minutes. Um, do you hear the kids talking about this? No. And, and so, so well, they might talk about it, but I didn't do my study on children. And so, oh, that's interesting. So. You, you, I don't, for one reason or another, uh, talking to the kids was not an activity that you could not comfortably engage in. Yeah. Well, I could comfortably engage in it, but I didn't want to waste my time. I could talk to the adults. That, those are the decision makers. The kids do not decide who's going to go on a raid. But it might be really interesting what they Yeah, but I only have one life to lead. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Every time I get in a conversation with them, Experts in any particular field. Well, why didn't you study this? Well, and and I'm still a little uh, unable to imagine why your hosts in the villages you were in, why they didn't uh, they didn't kill you because you, that's killing the golden goose. And you had in some the, villages, you, that you, was, and you had the medicine and the officials and all that. But uh, why didn't they uh, just say, "Give us all your officials and medicine right now"? Why didn't the strong man just just take everything? Well, that's why I stopped studying this one village because yeah, he did. Yeah. He wanted to. Uh, he wanted my shotgun at the end. So yeah, yeah. He heard that yeah. people in the Yanomama villages in Brazil. Missionaries give them guns. My shotgun. When you leave, just leave your gun behind. And I knew that so long as he remained in that village, I would never go back. Either because he'd kill me, or I'd kill him in self-defense. And it's not good to kill your informants. Yeah, um, that, that's true. Yes. The American Anthropological Association has policies about that. No, well. Um, when Elizabeth and I lived with the um, the Lessee in, in like so the ago. ones that had the book upside down. Yeah, that sort of thing. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. They're the Shackman book. Um, and uh, and after several months of, of being there, uh, Elizabeth, who grew up in a small village in England, said, "You know, exotic as all this behaviour is, basically it all feels incredibly familiar." Did you feel that it was familiar from the sense of the relationships that you? 
witnessed growing up uh, in yeah, Michigan? Yeah, the, the villages that I became really involved in, like Bishaste, I mean, these were just like my good friends and even some of my relatives. And it was not like observer-observed kind of relationship. I wept at their funerals and things like that. They played with my kids in the short time my kids were there. So it's very easy to empathize and recognize as an, even an anthropologist or maybe a missionary how similar these people are to you. They may have exotic customs and eat grubs an inch long, but they're basically, when you scratch them, they bleed red. 